0: Well, good morning all Grove, welcome here today. Uh, My name is Kevin, it is so good to see you today. Kids, are you in the service, are you here? Can I hear you? Yeah, you are, yeah you are. Okay, kids, you might not know this because you're not normally here, but we've been starting all of our sermons with an interview. And we've been interviewing some of the people that help lead us in worship as we're talking about worship. And so I wanna invite my friend Ryan Dahl to come on up here, everyone say hello to Ryan. Come on over here. And we're going to move over to the interview chairs, and uh, I have a microphone here for you, Ryan. And uh, thank you so much for leading us today. Yeah. This is the casual part of the sermon. Okay, okay so Ryan, why don't you tell Dylan. us, uh, just introduce yourself and your family, that I, I see you have some family here. I, actually, I do. I have my son and
1: daughter-in-law over there. That's hey. the, my token family. I actually have four kids, but the, the rest of them are not here. And then my wife is with my granddaughter, they're going to see Blinky or Blippy. Anybody, anybody know Blippy? Well, oh, there we know you go. Blippi. Watch YouTube. You'll find okay. out so, all right, that a two year old and a
0: 53 year old off to see Blippy. Awesome. <laughs> and how did your family end up here at Aldergrove? Like, cause we're all new. So how did you yes. end up here? Well, we've been a part of North Langley
1: church for a long time, probably 25 or 30 years. So mostly back at the last campus last year, we were in a service, I remember Pastor Matthew ended a service basically begging us to leave his church. <laughs> and, yep. uh, and then you came on stage, and my wife was like, I really like that guy. So, um, so we actually live five minutes away from here as well, and we were thrilled to have a church that's closer to our home. So uh, awesome. it's nice to be a part of
0: a local community. Awesome, and uh, you said that you've been a part of North Langley for a really long time, longer than I have. Mm -hmm. And I heard that you used to actually be the worship pastor here for North Langley. Yes, way back, Uh, yeah, way back. And some some, of you remember that old fans there. Okay, (laughs) I mean, not that they're old, but that. (laughs) Anyways, casual. You guys can have a conversation with yeah. him about that <laughs> afterwards. Um, and so how is it different being a volunteer worship leader here versus being kind of the, the worship pastor that runs the show? Uh, well, it's a lot
1: less stressful. I'm actually watching Isaac running around here. He had to deal with so many fires to put out, even just to get to today. And I used to carry that burden a lot. It was quite stressful. Now I can just show up and bring my songs i i just love serving in fact when i was on staff i always dreamed that one day i would love to be in a place where i could just do this for free, so, awesome. so it's
0: it's a, a real joy to be okay. able to do that. Well, if, if yeah. you are doing it for free, thank yeah. you. Um, <laughs> you. You do something else, and, and I think it's actually quite interesting that you've actually had a pretty big impact on the church world, like with mm. how they do worship services and yeah. music. Could you tell us a little bit about a company that you founded called Praise Charts?
1: Yeah, it actually started out of this church in 1998, so we're in our 25th anniversary. It was the year before I moved on from the church for a season, and I had a a band with guitar, bass, drums, and then I was adding trumpets and saxophones and violins and things like that, so I started to build a network of arrangers and writers and producers, and so now we have a catalog of like 25,000 songs and churches all over the world. Use our, our charts. In fact, last week I was in Houston at a conference meeting with 35 orchestra directors and uh, just hanging out with them, having meals, and talking very nerdy, techy things about sheet music and charts and chords and programs and all that kind of stuff
0: but, awesome yeah so Ryan fun. won't say it but he's a pretty big deal so uh, <laughs> Not really. I'll say it for him I'll say it for him but uh, uh Ryan when when we're thinking about the series on worship and today we're talking about lament kind of a big church word right yeah. there um do you have any thoughts for us as a worship leader on what lament and worship or lament is about or what, what would you like my sermon to say in case I get well cut short? yeah I have some thoughts for you <laughs> sure you do. No, I, first of all, I would say, you know,
1: congrats to you for taking on a topic like this, especially with kids all in the service. How do you approach a topic like this? One thing I find about worship is sometimes it can feel like we just all come together and we sing these happy songs about how great God is and how good life is, and everything is happy, 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 and that's not real for... Well, most of our lives sometimes we go through a range of emotions and so i think that there's got to be room and space in our worship time for us to be real you know Mm -hmm. and sometimes that means i'm sad or maybe i'm depressed or maybe i'm like lacking faith what about all those things that you know apparently are we're not supposed to have Mm -hmm. but i think that we should be encouraging our church community to come together and be authentic in our in our worship so so talking about lament just gives permission i think to yeah. say listen if you're not feeling all happy this morning there's still a place for you so yeah could you awesome. just
0: put that into your sermon yeah I actually i think i've got a spot that it'll fit, fit nicely so be great. Uh, <laughs> that'll be good good awesome okay well thank you so much for sharing ryan everyone can you say thank you to ryan for me <laughs> all right thanks ryan Okay, so like we said, we're talking about lament today. Uh, Lament can be a a big, difficult topic, um, but we're going to tackle it today, I'm not going to lie, I, uh, I didn't realize that kids were in the service until my sermon was finished, uh, and so then on Thursday I went and did some edits, and so uh, it was going to be a little bit heavier than, than it is today, but I'm excited because I actually think it's really important for kids to hear this too, that we can bring our anger, we can bring our sadness, we can bring our brokenness to Jesus, and it can be something that draws us closer to Him and not further away. Uh, If you are new here, I'd like to say welcome, especially if you're just kind of checking out this church or Jesus thing, welcome here today. You found yourself uh, during week six of a seven-week series called Abide, and today we're going to be looking at lament. And we've been looking at kind of different postures in which we can approach God. And so uh, we've looked at a number of different areas, and so today the, the kind of the topic again is lament and what it means to kind of come to God with like the messy part of ourselves, with the part that isn't always clean and polished. The, the part that's like honest and raw and vulnerable. And uh, I loved my study into this. Like, I had such a good time preparing this message this week. And I thought, man, I, I, I wish we weren't doing a week on this. I wish we were doing like a month or two on this. Because this is actually, I think, a really important thing for us to, to remember and to hear. I think a lot of us know a number of the things that I'm going to share today. But I think we need to, as I think, Ryan, the word that you used was permission, uh, that we need to be permissioned and have the freedom to kind of think some of these things. One of my favorite authors, his name is Dan Allen and he says this he says the presence of disruptive emotions that feel irrational or out of control is not necessarily a sign of disease sin or trauma instead it might be a signal that the heart is struggling with God therefore we must view the ups and downs of our emotional life not as a problem to be resolved but as a cry to be heard See, I actually haven't believed this for most of my life. I've done a pretty good job in my life of embracing what I would call the good, happy emotions. Uh, I'm pretty good at that. And then obvious, and then kind of the opposite is, is stuffing or ignoring or suppressing the, the, what I would have called bad emotions and what I now call difficult emotions. And, and I think that um, I have not learned this, so I'm going to read it again. The presence of disruptive emotions that feel irrational or out of control is not necessarily a sign of disease, sin, or trauma. Instead, it may be a signal that the heart is struggling with God. Therefore, we must view the ups and downs of our emotional life not as a problem to be resolved, but as a cry to be heard. I think that's actually a good definition of what lament is, a cry to be heard. It's a wrestling with God. It's a conversation that is super raw, super honest, where you don't pull any punches and you tell God what you really think and feel. Lament is defined as mourning or a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. The French define lament as the ment. John, I told you that joke wouldn't work. (laughs) John has been saying that joke to me every day for like two weeks straight, and I was like, John, no one's going to get it. And one person did, so there you go, John. So in the Bible, laments fall in the, the poetry genre of Scripture, and they contain some common elements. A lament doesn't have all of these things, but it often has a couple of them. And so I just kind of want to go through parts of a lament. There's often the start of an invocation or a calling out to God. There's usually a plea for help where it's like, I'm overwhelmed and I'm in such despair. God, I need you right now. There's often one or more complaints, often several complaints about how God could allow such horrible things to happen. There's often confession or an assertion of one's innocence. Think of the book of Job, where Job's like, I didn't do anything wrong. There's often a curse on one's enemies, which is, God, how can you, don't, sorry, God, don't allow evil to win. God, intervene and don't allow evil to win. There's often a confidence that God will respond. Sometimes this is like, God, you are still my rock and my salvation type uh, language. And sometimes they'll end with a hymn or a blessing or some form of worship. So lament doesn't necessarily contain all of these things, but there's often a, a couple of these elements, especially that complaining one. And so I, hel- I think that this helps us understand what lament is. And I actually think the simplest definition of lament is a complaint directed to God. A complaint directed to God. I don't know if you remember a book uh, called Silence, by uh, Suzaku Endo, uh, and there was a movie made on it as well by Martin Scorsese, and the movie had a couple of Jedi in it, if you look closely. Yeah, it's, it's actually a very difficult story, exploring the suffering of Japanese Christians in the 1600s. In it, two Portuguese priests, they travel to Japan, and while they're there, they're confronted by awful persecution, suffering uh, that, that the Japanese Christians are suffering, and they experience what they describe as the silence of God. Father Rodriguez writes, he says, already 20 years have passed since the persecution broke out. The black soil of Japan has been filled with the lament of so many Christians. The red blood of priests has flowed profusely. The walls of the churches have fallen down. And in the face of this terrible and merciless sacrifice offered up to him, God has remained silent. Father God, as we uh, approach you today, looking at the difficult topic of lament and what it means to be honest and raw and vulnerable before you. I pray that you would come and speak to our hearts today. I pray that you would guide and direct my words. God, there are so many feelings and emotions that we have attached to the heartbreaks and the difficult things that we experience in life. So Lord, today help us to better understand the feelings and the emotions that we experience, and help us to learn to use those to lament well. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think that if we think about it, we've probably all experienced uh, some form of suffering or pain. Uh, we, we could all tell sad stories of things that we've experienced. And, and we've walked through things. Like, a lot of times it's like not being in a relationship that you really wish that you were in. A lot of people have experienced illness or injury that has affected every moment of their waking life. We've all prayed for loved ones who were sick and still died, even though we prayed countless prayers and number of people praying for them. We all have broken friendships that have caused so much grief and sometimes shame. There's addictions that people face. And no matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you take that to God, it still seems to keep pulling you back in. Suffering can be through a loss, loss of a job. It could be through a diagnosis. And so what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to interact with a God who is supposed to love us? A God that is supposed to be our defender, our protector, and our healer. A God who's supposed to be our friend. So when trials hit, we can be, I know I am, I'm tempted to kind of pull away from God. And I actually start to, to look more insular. I look into myself. But today, I want to encourage us how to lament well, and how that when we lament, it's actually turning away from ourselves and turning to God. I want us to learn how to turn towards God with our deepest pain, our deepest loneliness, our deepest disappointments, and I want us to learn how to lament well. Okay, this part's not going to be super fun, but I'm going to look at a few examples of lament in Scripture, and we're going to be like, wow, the Bible is a discouraging book sometimes. It's true. Okay, Psalm 44. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? See, this actually sounds, when you think about it, disrespectful. Like, to be like, hey, God, are are you sleeping up there? Have you forgotten all the things that I'm going through? Like, do you even pay attention? Do you even know? Like, when I read this, it sounds like the author is being disrespectful, but he's being honest. Or Psalm 73 This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. It's like, hey, Lord, do you see the wicked? they seem to be doing pretty good. But me over here, in my innocence, in me trying to remain pure, it just feels like I'm being punished again every single day. How come the wicked are flourishing while the godly are being punished? But people would read these psalms, they would sing these songs as lament during worship. Bono from U2 says, really, this, in speaking about lament, This is in the tradition of the Psalms of David, which honor, sorry, offer an honest dialogue with God. I always wondered why David was so beloved of God. I think it was probably honesty, because in a lot of the Psalms, he's really given it out. Where are you when you're needed? Call yourself God? Look, I'm surrounded by my enemies. You got me into this, now get me out of here. It's so direct. I think it's very important for people to be able to address God from whatever state they're in, whether that's devotion or anger. Both are present here in the Psalms or in laments. There's even an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations, which is a super depressing book written by a guy named Jeremiah who's going through some pretty rough times. And the whole book sounds like this, the Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. This is why I weep and my eyes overflow with tears. Or there's laments of Moses. Listen to what Moses says. He says, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? If this is how you're going to treat me, please just go ahead and kill me. Fun sermon so far, right? (laughs) Okay, not fun, but hopefully by the end of the sermon, it is going to feel freeing and it is going to feel honest and that we'll have a place to bring our honest feelings to God. And I actually think it's really good for kids to be in here too because when life is hard, when we're angry, when we're sad, when things don't go the way we think they should, we can bring those things to God. And that's something that we should learn from an early age because the Bible writers did this and they actually did it a lot when you read through the scriptures. So when we're frustrated with God or angry or disappointed, it's not a time to withdraw from God, but a time to engage deeper with God. Because I think that the church has done a bad job of teaching us what to do with upset, angry, hurt feelings. I think that we, we don't permission each other to be angry or disappointed, especially with God. Angry or disappointed, God, like, oh, careful. You're about to get struck with lightning, right? Like, we, we have kind of created a place where, where we like to talk about struggles, but in the past tense. It's like, right now, I'm great, but remember when I was going through that hard thing before, God was there and God was good, but, but right now I'm, I'm good. Like that was hard, but... And, and we only bring those things up in the past tense. We like to put on our, our happy church face when we're here and before we talk about any of our hardships. And so my desire is that here at Aldergrove we can be an honest church, that we can be a congregation that celebrates with those who are celebrating, but that also mourns with those who are mourning and that we will struggle with those who are struggling. See, I'd rather look like a messy church, where it's kind of like messy and disorganized sometimes, than a perfect church. Because perfect churches don't exist. So let's be a messy church. Because relationships require messy honesty. A hard lesson that I'm still learning is that when I'm, when I'm not fine, saying I'm fine and acting fine really doesn't help me or it doesn't help anyone else i spent a lot of my life thinking it was actually good and godly to ignore the difficult emotions that I was experiencing because this is supposed to be a place of joy and happiness and thanksgiving. And so I told myself that repressing or stuffing or ignoring those really hard, difficult emotions like anger and sadness and brokenness, I told myself I was just bothering people if I brought those things up. And in doing so, I created for myself a place where I didn't know how to feel those things properly. This might seem super obvious, but in my marriage, I get upset with Christina sometimes. And when I do, it's way better if I say to her, Hey, Christina, I'm upset as opposed to what I've done for a lot of my marriage, which is say nothing and just start letting it fester and stew and get angry and start with kind of withdrawing and withholding it. and it's like this like invisible charade goes on. Whereas if I just have a crucial conversation and I say, Christina, I'm actually feeling upset. We have a good, hard conversation and that actually normally brings us closer together as opposed to me just kind of ignoring it, stuffing it away and thinking I'm just going to be the bigger person by not bringing it up. I think that our relationship with God also requires difficult, messy honesty. See, God longs for your heart. He longs for your honest thoughts and emotions. He cares when you're feeling angry or when you feel like he's let you down. To lament is to lean in with honesty rather than pull away from the God who loves us. Something we talk about at North Langley sometimes are these theological Latin terms uh, from St. Augustine and Martin Luther called Incurvatus Inse. And does anyone know what the other one's called? Ex-Curvatus Exe. Good job. Someone over here did that. Thanks, Brittany. Okay, so Incurvatus In Inse means a life that is turned or curved inward on itself. And it's described as like self-help. And self comfort and self soothing. And it's this like the spiral of always turning inward and focusing on yourself. It's a downward spiral, actually. And incurvatus inse describes a life of sin. And then there's another theological term called ex curvatus exe, which describes a life turned outward toward God. And it actually keeps spiraling upward and outward. And part of it means that when we experience these these painful emotions, they don't turn us inward towards bitterness, but they turn us outward towards God, curving closer and closer to God as opposed to in on ourselves. See, too often our pain causes us to focus on ourselves and, and we get kind of caught up in ourselves. But lament allows us to face these exact same emotions but focus on God, focus on the one who can actually do something about it. Because again, lament means to lean in with honesty rather than pull away from a God who loves us. Uh, One of my very favorite, like top three favorite stories in the Bible about Jesus is from John chapter 11, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're three siblings, and Lazarus dies in the story. At the end, Jesus raises him from the dead and he comes back to life. But before that happens, his sisters are devastated. Their brother has died. They called for Jesus and Jesus didn't come as quick as they needed. And, and this is what happens when Jesus finally arrives after Lazarus is dead. His sisters, Mary and Martha, they greet Jesus with a lament. And they say, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. All you would have had to do is say the word, Jesus, and Lazarus would be alive. Let's be honest, Jesus, if you'd been a little bit quicker, if you were here, you could have done something. Why did you take so long? Lazarus was your friend. You said that you loved him, and you let this happen. This is senseless. It's wrong. It serves no purpose. Why would you do this, Jesus? If you were here, my brother would not have died. See, we've all faced circumstances like this that just seem wrong. In fact. They don't just seem wrong. They are wrong. They should not have happened. Things like death, abuse, sickness, injury. When these things happen and it feels like life just kicks us in the face, does our pain turn us away from God? Or does our pain actually bring us directly to the one who can do something about it, who has the power and draws us closer to God? Church, church. One thing I learned this week in my sermon is our prayers are too nice. I think that we can be harder in our prayers. I think that we can be more honest in our prayers. God is big enough to handle the worst, most honest, unfiltered you. Okay, here's going to be a metaphor that's a bit of a stretch, okay? I'm fully aware of it. If, if Disney and Pixar movies were books of the Bible, I think that Inside Out would be the book of Lamentations. How many of you have seen the, the movie Inside Out? I'm hoping a lot of you, okay, I see a number of hands. If, if you, uh, we're gonna show a clip from this, this movie in just a second, and if you haven't seen it, you're gonna be like, there's some confusing things with balls that turn from yellow to blue, and what's going on there? You're gonna ask one of the kids, and the kids can explain it to you if you're an adult and you haven't seen this. But this is what it's about. It's about an 11-year-old girl named Riley, and she moves to a new city with her family, and it's been incredibly hard on her, and she wants to move back to Minnesota. She wants to be on her hockey team again. She wants to see her friends, and she feels so upset. But what she does is she shuts out sadness. She doesn't want to let sadness in. She lets anger in, and she wants to be happy, so she's trying really hard to be joyful. But sadness, she's just been like, nope, I can't feel that. If I feel sad, it's going to make my parents upset. If I feel sad, it's going to make me feel upset. And so joy is represented by this yellow fairy-like creature named Joy. And sadness is represented by this kind of blue, um, I don't even know what it is, a thing, um, this blue thing. And these, these two characters are two of the characters that live in her head. And, and the blue one represents her sadness, and the yellow one represents her joy. And she feels the need to be happy in front of her parents because she can't let them see how broken she is. But without sadness, she isn't able to respond to situations the way a normal human should. Because she doesn't want to let her sadness and despair in, she actually becomes very distant from her parents to the point where she wants to run away from home. So in this scene, it's a longer scene, uh, we're going to see when Riley lets sadness in. Uh, And we see her create a new core memory. And I think it's really beautiful because it's a core memory that has both sadness and joy attached to it. And I think that that's actually what God wants us to do. He wants us to bring our sadness and our joy to him. When she was honest with her parents, it actually made them closer. She had been taking that sadness and she'd been using it as a wedge to drive between her parents for so long. And when she finally stopped doing that and she was honest with her parents, she brought them her sadness. She didn't think her parents wanted to hear it, but they did because they're loving parents, just like our father is loving and wants to hear all of us. I'm about to date myself, but I remember in the 80s when a song came out. It was pretty big in the 80s, and it went like this. It went, here's a little song I wrote. You might wanna sing it note for note. Don't worry, be happy, that's right. Ain't got no place to lay, oh yeah, okay, there we go. Um, Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, the landlord says your rent is late. He might have to litigate. Don't worry, okay, this is a song that I think he wrote about church. Because I think that we do this in church. Whatever we're going through, it's like, oh, don't be sad. Just be happy. We have the joy of the Lord. We have eternal life. We have salvation. Like, what's there to be sad about? But really, if someone just took your bed and you have nowhere to lay your head, it's maybe a time to not be happy but to be a little bit worried. Do you think it's okay to be worried? If the landlord says he's about to litigate, you are allowed to feel upset, OK? And I think that as the church, we put so much pressure on one another to be happy all the time. And it actually makes lament feel strange and unfamiliar. It makes it feel foreign, like it's like we're doing something bad or wrong when we lament and take our cares to God. This is what uh, Walter Kaiser says. He says, "God has placed laments in Scripture, it would appear, as a corrective against euphoric celebratory notions of faith, which romantically portray life as consisting only of sweetness and light. Such a one-sided happiness-only view fails to deal with the realities of life. It drives the hurtful and painful side of life into the corners of faith and practice, leaving few guides for comforts from mortals or the word of God. I love that quote. Jesus lamented, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the resurrection was coming. It wasn't a surprise to him. But in that moment on the cross, Jesus lets a lament out when he feels the Father is not near. He knows that the Father isn't really far away. But he cries out and he says, I feel so alone. Why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus felt forsaken and he took his lament to the Father. This is actually the part of the sermon where normally I would talk about the gospel and I would say, okay, the good news of Jesus means that one day God is going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. There's going to be no more pain and sin and death and suffering. All those things are going to be put to an end. But today I'm intentionally kind of leaving that part out. Last week, we heard about the nearness of God and how God is always near us. And next week, we're going to learn what it means to, to be so close to God that we are filled with His Spirit and that He is living in us. But this week, to me, it seems more appropriate not to rush to that kind of happy, celebratory ending. So right now, I want to invite the worship team up. Because too often, I think people come to church, come to our services, feeling broken, feeling sad, feeling disappointed, not just with life, but with God. And we just rush to tell them to be happy. Don't worry, be happy. But I don't think that helps a grieving heart. So if you have a heavy heart, I hope that today's sermon provides the freedom and the permission to let those difficult and hard emotions in and let them run their course and use them as a way to turn you towards God, not inward towards yourself. If, you don't feel, if you're feeling awesome today, that is great, okay? But chances are you know what it's like to not feel awesome. And because we live in a sin-filled world, we know that more hard days are coming. Joy is coming too, but let's give space today, as uncomfortable as it is, for this pain, for this lament. And so with that truth in mind, I want to pray this prayer again from Psalm 44, awake Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our ministry or misery and oppression? In a moment before we start our next song, the worship team is just gonna give us a couple moments of silence. And in that time, I would encourage you to cry out to God in your heart. He hears your thoughts, he hears your emotions. Sometimes you don't even know what you're thinking or feeling, but God does. I've heard it said that lament is knowing what reality should be, seeing what reality actually is, and taking the difference to God. We have an amazing prayer team who would love to pray with you today. They're they're up here at the front on the sides and in the back in the prayer room. If you have a lament in your heart, I would encourage you to come and pray with someone about that. Sometimes we don't even know how to pray a lament. In that case, I would encourage you to let someone pray on your behalf. So let me pray, and then we'll move into a moment of silence. Father God, thank you that you can handle all of us. You can handle the good stuff. You can handle the joy and the celebration, but that you can also handle my anger and my disappointment. God, that when I am completely honest with you, that that is something that draws me closer to you and not further away. And I pray that for myself and my friends in this room that our lament Our lament would draw us closer to you, Lord Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come and fill us. God, these broken parts of our lives, these things that we we often stuff or ignore or don't want to think about or give space to, God, this morning we just want to give a few moments. And so Holy Spirit, help us to cry out to you. In Jesus' name, amen.